Hey everyone, welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. Our prayer is that through this message, you will find the Father, a family, and a fulfilling future. Be sure to connect with us online at Cornerstone Church Social to keep up with all things Cornerstone. Thanks for tuning in. Amen, amen. Grab a seat if you can. Man, can we give it up to our worship team for leading us this morning so well? Man, oh man. Hey guys, it's awesome to be back and preaching again. I've had two weeks off, um, so I'm, I'm, feeling, I'm, I'm feeling a little rusty today. I actually, this week, as I was preparing my sermon, I preached it to my dog, Teddy, uh, trying to like shake the rust off. Uh, he licked his butt and walked out of the room, so <laughs> let's hope it goes a little bit better today, huh? Let's <laughs> hope things go a little bit better. Uh, but man, I am, I'm excited to see everybody. Thanks for being here. Uh, everybody watching online, thanks for joining us as well. Hey, can we give it up for Pastor Brenda and Pastor Donnie as well? <clears throat> Man, they, they knocked it out of the park preaching the last two weeks. And here we are, we're almost at the finale of this series, How God Became King. It's hard to believe we're already here. I've been talking to a few people this morning. We can't believe it's already Palm Sunday. It's just crazy. But I, I just want to say, as we head into next week with Easter next week, can I just challenge you to be a bringer next week? We, we want people to experience the kingdom of God here at Cornerstone. There's no better time than Easter. We have invite cards available for you. If you go out in the lobby, you'll see we have a stand. You can grab some invite cards, take them with you, invite family, friends, coworkers, anybody that you would like to come and experience church with you. I want to tell you, we want to pack this place out. This is a Small facility, right? We're working on it. It's a small facility, but we want to pack it out. We want to, we want to break fire code in the name of Jesus next week. So, so invite everybody. We'll pack this place out. It's going to be an incredible, incredible time. So that's all I'll say as we hop into the sermon. So what we're going to be looking at today, if you have your Bible, you want to follow along, uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16. If not, don't worry. We'll have the verses up on the screen for you to follow along. Let me give you just a little bit of background of where we're going to be jumping into the scripture today. So as we we jump into Matthew 16, specifically we're starting in verse 21. What has already happened? Jesus is about six months out from heading to Jerusalem, heading to the cross, uh, heading to his death and his eventual resurrection. But six months prior to that is where we find ourselves in the story in Matthew 16. And what has just happened is Jesus and his disciples were in a town called Caesarea Philippi. It's a certain region of the area. And he posed a question to his disciples. He asked them, hey, what's the word on the street about me? What are people saying about me? And so they tell them, they're saying, well, you know, Jesus, some people are saying that you're John the Baptist reincarnated. Some people are saying that you're, uh, you're a, a great prophet. You know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that people are saying about you. Jesus said, okay, well, what about you guys? What do you, what do you say about me? And Peter speaks up and he says, Jesus, I believe you're the Messiah. You're the anointed one, the one sent from God. And Jesus congratulates Peter. He's like, Peter, you got it. You're getting it. You're understanding who I am and what I am supposed to do. So that has just happened whenever we pick up what we pick up today in Matthew 16, 21 through 25. This is what scripture tells us. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Now, I'm thinking in this moment, the reason Jesus is giving his disciples more is because of that moment with Peter. 
Like, Peter understood. He got it. He's, he was able to identify who Jesus was. And so, in that moment, Jesus is like, okay, bravo. Let me give you a little bit more. Let me tell you what's coming next. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. These terrible things are going to happen. But on the third day, I will be raised to life. Which brings us to verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Ouch. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. You see, Peter thought he was seeing things correctly when Jesus told him the plan, whenever Jesus laid out what was going to happen. Peter thought he was understanding correctly, but he wasn't. His eyesight was faulty. And what I want to wager is that a lot of us today, as we study God's word, we're going to realize how faulty our eyesight is. Does anybody in here wear glasses? I see some glasses wearers. Anybody online? Isn't it incredible? Whenever you don't wear your glasses for a, little by, uh, for a little while, you can kind of trick yourself into thinking your eyesight is better than it is, right? Like, I'll, I'll be rolling around the house for a while without them because they're just annoying to wear. They get so filthy. I'm a dad of three kids. They get ridiculously filthy. There's stuff on my glasses. I don't even know what it is, right? Like, it gets, it gets bad. So I'll, I'll try not to wear them as much as I can at home. But then whenever me and Jessica get ready to watch a TV show, uh, like I said, we're, we're parents of three kids, so we routinely have subtitles on because we're trying to, like, quietly watch something <laughs> so the kids can sleep, right? So we have the subtitles on. We'll turn on the TV, and as soon as the first subtitle scrolls, I'm like, what's that, what's that say, <laughs> right? My, my eyesight's terrible. So I put on my glasses, and then boom, suddenly it's clear. Suddenly I can see again. Suddenly what was so blurry and out of focus becomes clear. And I would wager that the same is true in our life, that so often we walk through life thinking we've got a handle on things, thinking we got a grip on things, thinking we know what's really going on, and then as soon as we are introduced to God, as soon as we remember what his word tells us, it's like a pair of glasses coming on us again. We go, oh, that's what it's supposed to look like. That's how things are supposed to be, and I believe that's what God's going to do for us today is give us glasses to see things for what they truly are. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We ask that you would speak it to us in such a real fresh way today. Give us a new perspective on your word so that we can see how it clearly applies to our life, how great we have a need of it, and that way we would take what we would learn today and see true transformation in our life. We love you, Father, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and tell them it's not what it looks like. It's not what it looks like. If you're online, post it in the chat. It's not what it looks like. Right? It's not what it looks like. We, the, the, the human race, we are fascinated by things that aren't what they seem. We're fascinated. Let me, let me prove my point to you, okay? Don't just take my word for it. Um, who remembers, anybody about my age, does anyone remember... These bad boys, can you guys see that? Anyone see? Transformers. I, I love Transformers. My apologies if your only idea of what the Transformers are is the Michael Bay movies. They, they didn't do a service to how good the cartoon show was. I grew up on Transformers, loved Transformers. I always loved, I thought Optimus Prime 
had like a top five voice of all time. I wish I could preach. And that voice tech team, if we can work on getting like an auto-tune filter for me to talk more like this while I preach, that would be incredible. Um, but what, does anyone remember what the tagline for Transformers was? More than meets the eye, right? You think, you thought he was just a semi-truck? No, 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 that's Optimus Prime, baby. That's the, that's the leader of the Transformers. You got it all wrong. There's more than meets the eye. We love things that are more than what they seem. How about uh, this one? You don't see that? Those are some sick shoes right there, right? Those are, those are pretty nice. Those are like some retro Jordan 1s, the, the, the black, the red, the white. Those are some nice, nice shoes, Except those aren't shoes. This is a cake. <laughs> I kid you not. The, the, the shoe, the box that the shoe is on, the label, that's all edible. Everything you're seeing right there is, is cake. There was a whole social media trend for the longest time uh, where people would post things like this. And you're like, ooh, that looks nice. And then they cut into it with a knife and you realize it's like a chocolate cake. <laughs> it's, it's crazy, right? Like it looks so real, but there's more than meets the eye. It's not what it looks like. How about this one? So this looks like just a girl posting a nice picture at the beach, right? Just it makes you want, like, oh, can we just get some summer here? Can we can we go on vacation? That's what it makes you want. Um, except that's not legs; those are hot dogs. <laughs> Kid you not, hot dogs. There was a, another social media trend. People would post pictures like this, and you had to guess: Do you think these are legs or hot dogs? These are hot dogs. It's not what. It looks like, who's hungry for lunch now? Say amen, <laughs> right? Those are hot dogs. It's not what it looks like. And I, uh, I, I don't know who all remembers these ones. If, if some of those trends, you're, you're not hip with social media, you don't really recall those, maybe you'll remember these. These were all the rage in the 90s. Who remembers the Magic Eye books? These things were incredibly frustrating, right? <laughs> like very frustrating. The whole, the whole concept behind these books, let me see if I can find a page here real quick. So what these books would be is they will post pictures like, you know, there you go. There's one on either side. And it just looks like craziness, right? It looks like abstract art. It looks like nothing. But there's actually a hidden image here. There's actually a hidden image. I believe the one on the left is like there's a train in there somewhere, and how it works, let me, let me read the instructions to you, okay, on how the Magic Eye book works. Viewing instructions on the back. All you need to see the 3D illusion are your two eyes and some patience. One easy way to do this is hold the book right up to your nose. If you've ever seen anybody do that, that's what they've done. They hold it right there and then slowly pull it out, right? You have to hold it up right to your nose. The Magic Eye image should be blurry. If not, make an appointment with your optometrist immediately. Focus as though you are looking through the image into the distance. Very slowly move the book away from your face, and you will begin to see depth. Now hold the book still. Try not to blink, and the 3D hidden image will magically appear. There's more than meets the eye, right? And you see that play out as you start doing these books. I mean, some people, you got frustrated, you were never able to see the hidden image. But if you waited long enough, if you allowed yourself to just wait and look, you would start to see these hidden images of a, of a house, of a train, of a car. There was more than meets the eye. It's not what it looks like. Now, as we've been studying the kingdom of God these last couple of weeks, I would encourage you, if you've missed any of these, 
go online, catch up with where we're at. All of these weeks have built one on top of the other. But the kingdom of God, as we've been learning, as we've been studying, if there's one thing we can know for certain about the kingdom of God is that it's not what it looks like. Everything that we're told that a kingdom is supposed to look like from the world, the kingdom of God is the exact polar opposite. It's not what it looks like. Peter was confronted with this reality in the scripture that we read today. Remember, Peter had just said he knew who Jesus was. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the anointed one. He's the one who's going to set Israel free. He's going to set everything right again. Peter understood that. But then when Jesus started to explain what that means and what that practically looks like, he had problems with it. Because to Peter, it didn't make sense. It's not what a Messiah is supposed to look like. Again, Peter took Jesus' side and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. So essentially, Jesus is painting a picture of what's going to happen, and Peter doesn't like the way it looks. Peter looks at it, and he sees a mess. He sees there's no way a Messiah, God's Messiah, should be killed. How in the world does that make any kind of sense? But the thing that was true for Peter is true for me and you, and that's this. Your knee-jerk view, your knee-jerk reaction to something, your knee-jerk view usually isn't true. It's just not. Don't feel bad. Mine isn't either. <laughs> if you're human, if you, if you have blood pumping through your veins and air pumping through your lungs, your knee-jerk view usually isn't true. That's why Jesus rebuked Peter, because he knew, Peter, you're... You're having a knee-jerk reaction to what I told you. You're having a knee-jerk reaction to what I've showed you. And let me tell you, it's not true. It's wrong. You're missing what's truly at play here. I want to ask you, this is just a rhetorical question. Don't, don't shout it out or anything. But how many of us, how many of us base our life off of our knee-jerk reactions? How many of us are in places that we wish we weren't in relationships because of our knee-jerk reactions? Our knee-jerk view of things. How about our relationship with God? How is your relationship with God doing? Are you in a place that you wish you weren't? And it's because you've had knee-jerk reactions to things. You've had a knee-jerk reaction to God because you thought he was going to do X, but instead he did Y, and your reaction to that was, well, why would God do this? How could God do this? It's because you're seeing the wrong picture. Your knee-jerk view usually isn't true. There's usually more at play. We need to remember that. If we want to live a successful life, live a godly life, live a life that lives out the kingdom of God ethics, we need to remember that our knee-jerk view usually isn't true. I remember I, whenever I first started becoming a, a pastor, I got offered a position to become an associate pastor uh, at Galleon Free Methodist Church in Galleon, Ohio. My knee-jerk reaction to it was sign me up. Because at the moment, I, I, I wasn't a, a pastor here at Cornerstone yet, so it was uh, like a, a promotion. I'd be getting paid quite a bit more than I was currently making. I was going to be able to work with a, a guy, Paul Walter. He was the lead pastor there, longtime family friend, incredible guy. Everything about it, knee-jerk reaction, knee-jerk view was, yes, amen. This is an open door from God. But that was just the initial picture. That was just this. And just like the magic eye book, you have to start close and then get some distance from it 
Take some time with it. Maybe ask somebody who's already done it themselves, where am I supposed to see the image on this page? Like, where is it supposed to be? You get a little advice, a little counsel. It starts to become more clear. In the same way, that's what happened with this job offer. Everything that initially, the knee jerk was, yes, yes, yes. I started to get away from it, and I'm going, well, man, that's really going really to change my life. Like, it's going to just completely take me on a different path. That Cornerstone won't be my home church anymore. No offense, if we have anybody watching from Galleon today, no offense, I'm going to have to go live in Galleon. Like, that's going to, I'm going to have to, that's going to be where I'm at. Like, is Galleon Ohio? Do I really want to live in Galleon? Like, do I really want all of these things to change that drastically for me? And so what seemed like a knee-jerk view of, yes, this must be an open door from God. Otherwise, why, have, why would I have gotten this offer? Suddenly, the more I thought about it and the more I prayed on it, the more I looked into it, I just thought, you know, this, this ain't it. Like this ain't it. My knee-jerk view usually is not true, and yours isn't either. More oftentimes than not, it's not what it looks like. One of the reasons I think our knee-jerk views are so commonly just bad and off is because our knee-jerk reaction to things, our knee-jerk view is so simplistic, isn't it? Your knee-jerk reaction, let me, let me tell you, I'm going to tell tell you I know something about you. When something happens in your life, an event or something in a relationship or something with your finances, something happens, you instantly categorize it in one of two ways, good or bad. Got to raise good, good. <laughs> it's all good. Forgetting about the fact that like, well, man, this, this raise and this promotion is going to put more stress on me personally, more stress on my time, more stress on my family, but your knee-jerk reaction, more money, good, good, <laughs> right? Simple. It's simplistic. This is something that is innate in humans. You know, kids as young as four months old begin to categorize. Dualistic categorization, this or that. Kids as young as four months old. And we keep doing it today. As soon as things happen to us, we start to categorize them in one place or another. We start to label things and we do it simplistically. We do not like complexity. Humans just, generally speaking, we don't like it. That's why political ads are so effective because they're not complex. They're simple. Vote for this person. They're a, vote for this person because the other person's a murderer. Right? Like, vote for this person because this person's a, a racist. Like, we just simple. Like, it's very simple. In fact, I mean, if you were to ask people in this last presidential election, if you were to ask people who voted for Donald Trump, and you would ask people who voted for Joe Biden why they voted for them, chances are, if you were really able to talk with them, it'd be pretty complex. It wouldn't be this one thing. It would be like, well, you know, I like their stance on this. I like their stance on this. I don't totally agree with it on this, but I can see how they would do this with it. There's this complexity, but we don't like that. So whenever someone voted for Joe Biden, we just instantly maligned them. It was for this reason, this one reason. They hate so-and-so, right? <laughs> people voted for uh, Donald Trump. It's because this reason. But life isn't that simple. You know that. Life is complex. We just don't like complexity. And so our knee-jerk reaction to things in our life, our knee-jerk view is simple, not complex. But this is what I'll tell you. If you're pursuing the kingdom of God, if you're pursuing living out the kingdom of God ethic in your life, which is the, the, the model of Jesus of self-sacrificing love, if you're looking to do that, you need to get comfortable with complexity. Like yesterday. Because the world is complex. Your relationship with Jesus is complex. Your relationship with people is complex. Can I tell you things aren't as black and white as we want them to be? 
They're just not. They're just not. There is a lot of gray out there. There's a lot of gray. We want things to be simple. We like that dualistic categorization. Are you Republican or Democrat? Are you a dog person or a cat person? Are you a Marvel person or a DC person? Which, by the way, there's only one correct answer to that last question. Let's not, let's not get out of hand here, all right? Let's not get crazy. But man, that, that is our comfort zone. Simple. Just keep it very simple. But man, that's not real. Life isn't simple, especially in the kingdom of God. Things are complex. It's not what it looks like. Things are not just simply black and white. There is a lot of gray, and that's one of the problems with Peter. He saw black and white. He saw, Jesus, you're the Messiah, but you're going to die. That can't be. Death, death bad. <laughs> death goes in the bad box. There's nothing good that can come from this. Peter's knee-jerk reaction was simplistic, and he got rebuked for it. Listen again, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned to him and said, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but simply human concerns. You don't have the complexities in mind, Peter. You have simplicity in mind. You're not getting it. If we're pursuing the kingdom of God, we've got to get comfortable with complexity. Jesus knew that. Peter didn't. Church, we know that. We know things aren't as simple as just good, bad. We know there's complexity. The COVID pandemic, man, we, we know from that we have experienced a lot of gray. Sure, there's things that are just bad from it. People dying, businesses being shut down for good, right? Like there, there's been some terrible stuff that has happened in it. But in the midst of it, you know, you're sitting in a building that the only reason we were able to get it is because of the pandemic, the joy that we've been able to experience here as a church family to finally have like solid brick and mortar roots again and get ready to build and add on and renovate with our Here and Now campaign, the only reason any of that is happening is because of the pandemic, because of doors that, that God brought our way that wouldn't have been there before. It's complex. It's not as simple as we want it to be good and bad. It's just not. That's how God works time and time again. We should know that if we look at nothing more than what we're going to be celebrating this week, that there is complexity, that things aren't just simply good or bad, that God can take evil and turn it into good, that God can take our biggest disappointments and turn them into doorways for him to fulfill his purpose for our life. Think about it. What we're going to be celebrating this week, the two pivotal moments that God used to usher in hope and to usher in new life and to usher in transformation. You know what those two moments involved? Execution and a cemetery. Think about that. The two most pivotal moments that bring us hope that have a billion Christians around the world this coming week singing praises to King Jesus and thanking him for what he's done involve a cross and a tomb. From our perspective, that's just bad. From our perspective, we look at the cross and we see death, we see the tomb and we see the finality of death, that that's just it, it's over. But in the kingdom of God, it's not what it looks like. There's always more to the story. And so if God is able to bring hope and life out of a cross and out of a tomb, who are you to say that he can't bring something out of the disappointments in your life? Who are you to say he can't bring something out of the dysfunction in your life? Of course he can, that's the kind of God he is. He's a redeeming God, he's a grave robbing God. And if he's done it before, he can do it. Again, it's complex. So let's not 
be too quick with our knee-jerk reaction and our knee-jerk view to label things in our life bad, bad. You have no idea what God can do in that area if you don't close him off to it. Don't be so quick to label something bad. Peter got rebuked for it. Remember, your sight is faulty. You think you're walking around with some glasses on. You're not. <laughs> this is you walking around. No, I, can, I see everything, like, right? Like I've got, I've got a handle on everything. You don't. Neither do I. Our sight is faulty. We can't trust it. And in fact, when we do trust our faulty sight, our faulty sight leads to a stumbling faith. Leads to a faith that starts to crack and starts to unravel. That's exactly what Jesus said. He turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You're a stumbling block. Whenever we have faulty sight, we fall. Has anyone ever used one of those uh, like VR gaming systems, uh, like the Oculus, anything like that, anybody online? I was using, for the first time, I, I used my nephews, uh, Max and Riley. They've got uh, Oculus. Whenever we went over to their house one night, put that bad boy on and wanted to give it a try. I had always made fun of people because, like, me and my family, we watch America's Funniest Home Videos. And you see all those videos where people who are using the Oculus just destroy their house while they're wearing it. They're breaking their TV. They're knocking over vases. They're just destroying everything. And we're sitting there laughing at them, like, oh, these morons. They're just destroying their house. And then you put one of those things on, you have no idea how immersive those are until you try them. I put that thing on, and as soon as it slipped over my head, you instantly lose sense of where you actually are in the world. It's crazy. It's so immersive. It's so, it's just, it's crazy. And so I started playing the game. We were playing uh, uh, Beat Sabers. Is that what it is? Anyone ever played that? Beat it's, it's fun, man. It's a blast. But after it was over, when I started, like whenever I started playing, I was facing like this way, and I was up here, like in, in relationship in their living room, I was like up here, and I didn't think I moved at all. Like I thought I was just stationary, like, uh, you know, kind of hitting these things. Whenever I got done and I took the thing off, I was like here, and I had no idea I had moved that much. Like it just, it's so immersive, you get so lost in it. So I started to realize, oh, these poor people, I've been <laughs> thinking they're morons destroying their house. I see how it happens because it's so immersive. It's so distorted. Do you know we do the same thing in life? When we trust in our own view of things, our own knee-jerk responses to events in our life, essentially what we're doing is we are slipping on VR. We're slipping on this virtual reality where we're living in our own bubble of what we see to be reality, but it's not reality. And we destroy stuff in the process. We stumble, just like those people on America's Funniest Home Videos. We fall all over the place, breaking things in the process because we have a faulty sight. And our faulty sight leads to a faith that stumbles. That's why we have so many people deconstructing right now. If you've heard about people uh, uh, deconstructing from their faith, no wonder. Because they've been told, you know, they've been told the wrong ways of dealing with things, of dealing with uh, events in their life or experiences in their life. And so off their knee-jerk reaction, their knee-jerk view to what's going on, they ask, well, how, how could God allow this to happen? This, this tragedy, this divorce, this job loss, how could God allow this to happen? And they're trying to evaluate that through their faulty sight, not relying on God, and most, most of the times it's because they, they've had people tell them the wrong things about God, tell them the wrong things about the Bible, tell them the wrong things about their experience, so no wonder they're tripping all over the place. 
No wonder they're leaving the faith. And how crazy of us, some of us in the Christian world, to say people are deconstructing because it's the fad thing to do. It's trendy right now. People are losing their faith for legitimate reasons all over the place, and we're casting them aside, which, by the way, this is kind of you know, off on a tangent, but I mentioned this before. The series after Easter, we're starting a four-part series called Help, I'm Losing My Religion. If you are having any kind of questions or thoughts, you feel like your faith is stumbling, you know anybody whose faith is stumbling, that series is tailor-made for you and tailor-made for them. Invite people to come. If they can't come in person, check it out online. That's going to be, again, a four-week series uh, uh, starting the week after Easter talking about uh, deconstruction. So make sure you put that on your calendar. But again, our faulty sight leads to a stumbling Faith. So what we need to do in the midst of hardship, in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of frustration, is just declare, God, I know that this isn't true. I know that what I'm seeing with my sight right now is faulty. I'm not, I'm just seeing a mess. <laughs> God, I'm admitting this is what I see. I see a mess, and I need your help to truly see what's going on in the situation, because I know you're a grave robbing God. I know you're a redeeming God. I know you're the God who told Joseph what your enemies meant for evil, I'm going to use for good. And so I'm trusting that the evil, that the wrong, that the hurt I'm seeing in my life can be used for good and that there is more there, that it's not what it looks like. We need to be able to admit that. Trust in God, trust in his view and not in our own. Trust in God to reveal reality to us. That's a word that's used a lot in scripture, revelation. God is a God of revelation. All that that means is that God is a God who reveals things to us, that to our human senses, to our five senses, we see a certain thing. We see certain ways that things play out. We can only see the surface. But with God's help, through the power of his spirit, he can reveal to us what's truly going on below the surface. We need to pray. Ask God to reveal. Ask God for revelation in our life. Do you know that's what faith is? If we were really to just sum it up, that's a, that's a word that we throw around a lot at church. Like we just, we got to have faith. Yeah, faith, right? Oh, yeah, faith. Faith is great. We don't even really define it. We just talk about it. Faith, simply put, faith is denying my view for God's view. If we were to just sum it up, to just say, hey, what's a quick definition of faith? Faith is denying my view, saying, no, I know I'm not getting things right in favor of God's view. It's saying, God, I agree with you. <laughs> I agree with you. I agree. I, I, I admit that I am walking around like this, thinking I have a lay of the land, thinking I understand what's going on. God, I'm, I'm admitting I don't see straight. I'm admitting I see things out of focus. I don't see things for what they truly are. I admit that what I see, it's actually not what it looks like. I need your help. This is what Jesus tells us to do, the closing verses of uh, Matthew 16 that we've been looking at today. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. We have to deny ourselves. That means every aspect of ourselves. We have to deny, including our view of the world. What we think is true, what we think we see, we have to deny our view for God's view. Yesterday, my, my daughters, we were sitting down eating lunch out of nowhere, I have no idea why this was even on her mind. My youngest daughter, Evelyn, she's five. She, out of nowhere, just asked, is it true that George Washington cut down a cherry tree? What in the world? Like, where did, where did that come from? Like, I'm like, uh, I mean, I think it's like a, 
It's like, I think it's like a legend. I don't really know. And then my older daughter, Eden, she's eight. She goes, no, that's not true. He didn't. I'm like, well, they're both pretty, like, they're pretty positive. I didn't know I had George Washington scholars living in my house. But Eden's like, no, that's, that's not true. I'm like, okay, well, let's turn to the true expert. Because we do have an expert in our house. Someone who, like, anything you want to know, they know it. Alexa. Alexa lives at our home. And so I turn over and I say, Alexa, did George Washington cut down a cherry tree? And she gives us like a big, like well-researched response that according to myth, George Washington cut down a cherry tree whenever he was young. His father was upset, asked George if he did it. George told the truth. He didn't lie. Yes, I cut it down, made his father okay with it. And, you know, moral of stories don't lie and tell the truth. So it tells us this whole thing. And as soon as it's over, I just say, well, there you go. It's quiet for a second. And then Eden goes, I don't think that's right. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> she, well, there we go. Alexa, who has access to every bit of human information we've ever compiled ever on the internet, or my eight-year-old daughter, <laughs> right? Her, her gut feeling, no, nah, I don't think that's right. And it sounds funny in that context, right? But how often do we do the exact same thing? right? How often do we do the exact same thing? There's situations, there's things we're going through in our life, and God's telling us what's really going on. He's telling us he is a grave robbing God. He's telling us he is a redeeming God. He's a God who takes graves, turns them into gardens, splits seas into highways. That's the kind of God that he is. And and he tells us that when it comes to our relationships and our finances and our job and the, the things that we're facing in life, he reminds us all that. And we go, yeah, I don't think that's right. I don't know. I, I, know that's, I know that's who you tell me you are, but I, I, I just, I'm not buying it. I don't think that's right. I think that I really am just going to be single the rest of my life. I know what you're telling me, but I don't think that's right. I think this is just going to end in divorce. I, I think that our, our relationship will never be the way that it should have been. I, I, don't, I don't think that's right. I don't think I'll ever get noticed at work, even though I'm trying my best. I'm giving my hardest. I, I get what you're telling me, God. I get you're trying to tell me it's not what it looks like, but I... Just don't think that that's right. True faith is denying our view for God's view. For admitting that, God, I'm the one who doesn't get it right. I'm the one with the faulty vision. I'm the one who has these knee-jerk responses that are so simplistic and I'm so quick to label things good or bad. But, God, I'm going to... I'm going to deny that, and instead I'm going to trust in you, and I'm going to ask you to give me your view of things. I'm going to ask you to show me how you see things, because, God, I'm admitting that I know it's not what it looks like. I'm going to ask the worship team if they would come back on stage. In the kingdom of God, it's not what it looks like. In the kingdom of God, it's not what it seems. No matter what you're going through, And I know there's a lot of you, you brought stuff in here today with you, didn't you? (laughs) Hard situations, difficult conversations, difficult relationships. You're in the midst of tough situations at work, and you're trying your best. You're trying to live out the kingdom of God. You're trying to live out the self-sacrificing love that Jesus instructs us to have. You're trying your best, but it seems like you're not seeing any victory. You're not seeing anything get better. It just seems hard and hard and difficult and difficult. And what I think God wants to tell you today is that it's not what it looks like. There's more happening than you know. And even though it looks like lost, there is victory there if you just keep holding on. You just keep believing and putting your faith and your trust in him. And I think we have one of the most beautiful examples of that in all of scripture in the book of Mark. 
We're going to be looking at two chapters as we close today, Mark chapter 10 and then Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 10 picks up when Jesus and his disciples are not too far from heading into Jerusalem for Holy Week. This is what it says. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Don't we all? (laughs) Jesus replied, what do you want me to do for you? They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in glory. You see, the, the, the two guys here, James and John, they thought they knew what it looked like. Peter had already declared, Jesus, we believe you're the Messiah. Jesus says, Peter, you're right. That's exactly who I am. I am God's anointed one. And so they knew what that looked like. They knew what that meant. That meant we're going to roll into Jerusalem, Jesus and his posse. (laughs) We're going to overthrow the Romans. We're going to set up God's holy kingdom again in Israel. We're going to lay waste to all of our enemies. And we're going to have the power and the prestige. And Jesus, when that happens, because again, we, we know what it looks like. You're, you're the Messiah. When that happens, Jesus, we want to be on your right, and we want to be on your left when you come in glory. We want to have that power and that prestige because we know what it looks like, and we want to be part of that. Jesus' response in verse 38, you don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left, it's not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. So Jesus' moment when he comes in glory, that's what they asked. We want to be on your right and your left when you come in glory, Jesus. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. It's already been decided. They didn't know what they were asking. But five chapters later, we get the revelation. Mark 15, verse 22. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. They offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. You see, when Jesus was coming in his glory, they thought it was going to look like something different. Jesus told them, you you don't know what you're asking. You think you know what my glory looks like, and it looks like power, and it looks like prestige, and it looks like us forcing our way on people, and it looks like us just declaring military might over everybody else. That's what you think is going to happen. That's, that might be the glory of the kingdoms of this world, but I'm about to make a public spectacle of them. I'm about to triumph over that kind of way of thinking on the cross. You have no idea what true glory is, but you're about to see it. And so true glory is not what it looks like. The moment of Jesus's enthronement, the moment that the kingdom of God was finally and uh, for the last time established here on earth was when Jesus hung on a cross. His glory was not what it looked like. And I wanna encourage you that whatever you're going through right now, and I have no idea what it is, but it's not what it looks like. As you trust in God, as you put your faith in him, as you believe in him and rely on him and lean into him, 
It's not what it looks like. It's never what it looks like in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, every occupied cross leads to an empty tomb. That's what happens in the kingdom of God. It's never what it looks like. So last thing I want to say. What if you aren't seeing victory in your life because you don't know what victory looks like? What if it feels like you're constantly losing because you don't know what it looks like to be winning? And so what you've been labeling, your knee-jerk view, your knee-jerk reaction has been, oh, another frustration, another day I didn't get it right, another day I'm messing up. Maybe you've got a habit in your life and you're trying to kick it and you're trying to kick it and you're a year down the road and you're like, man, it just feels like I'm, I'm still struggling with, with this thing. And your knee-jerk view is to label it a loss because you're still struggling with it. And what God through the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you is, but you're struggling with it at a different depth. You're struggling better against it than you used to. You see this as a loss. I see victory here. What you're seeing as there's no growth, I see growth. You're doing better than you think you are. What if you aren't seeing victory because you have no idea what it looks like? Your eyesight is bad. (laughs) You don't know what you're seeing. You need to deny yourself and put your faith and your trust in the vision and the wisdom of God. You and I, we need to bow our knee and truly make Jesus our king. And if he's our king, that means not my way, yours. Not my eyesight, yours. Not my vision, yours. Not my view of things, yours. If you haven't made that decision today, I pray you make that in these next moments. Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we admit that you are king. You are king, not us. We don't want to rely on our own perspective, on our own view, on our own vision, on our own eyesight. We know how messed up and distorted it is. We need you. Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to have eyes to see things as you do, to have the patience to not immediately react or label based on our knee-jerk view of things that's so simplistic. Help us to see the gray, Help us to see that even in the dark times, you're working things together for the good of those who are called according to your purpose. That even when we face hardship, you can bring beauty out of it. That nothing is ever as simple as it seems. Help us to do that, Father. Help us to make you king in every area of our life today. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to contact us or find out more about our ministry, head over to our website at cornerstonechurch.info. Have a great week.